This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest today is Micah Johnson, the creator and artist behind Aku Dreams. Micah's story as a pro baseball player turned famed NFT artist and Aku's story are both unique and inspiring. We dive into how Micah's childhood inspired the story behind Aku, what he has learned from his success, and tips for artists in the space. Please enjoy my conversation with Micah. Today I'm joined with Micah Johnson, founder of Aku World. Micah, as we were talking before we got on, I was introduced to you by Andrew Steinthal. And when I first heard about Aku World and I heard just headlines about you, Micah Johnson, this huge energy project, Aku, LA baseball player, I just assumed you were a celebrity in Los Angeles, baseball player, fancy celebrity, good looking guy creating art. I didn't know your backstory. So I think that'd be a great place to start is to tell the audience who you really are and a little bit more about yourself. I'm just a grinder, man. I enjoy the work. Since I was a little kid, I always wanted to play Major League Baseball since I was like two or three years old. There was not a doubt in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. And I was very vocal about it my entire life. And it came true in 2015 when I made my Major League debut with the White Sox. Got drafted in 2012 out of Indiana University. Discovered painting in 2016. Fell in love with painting with the process of creating art and watching yourself get better. Then I retired from baseball in the end of 2018. And discovered NFTs in 2019 as really a way to get my art into the world and monetize my creativity in a way that I couldn't or I didn't have access to in the real world through institutional galleries and things like that. And so fell down the rabbit hole in 2019. It was very selective about the projects that I would release in that time frame. Spent a lot of time studying and talking to people and learning from a technical perspective and then also just from the real potential here. And then in 2021, February, I released Aku. So before you get into Aku and all the amazing things with that project. I just want to take a step back and think about becoming a major league baseball player. I feel like a lot of kids, if you ask them, what do you want to be? And this will relate to Aku, but children might say, oh, I want to be a professional baseball player. And I think a lot of people might say, yeah, that's a great dream, but what do you really want to be? Who in your life inspired you at that age to ever think that was possible? Because I think very few people become professional baseball players. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There was this video of him when I was two years old, swinging in the front yard, hitting a ball off a tee. And you can hear my older sister in the background. She's a year older than me. She goes, he said, this is what he wants to be when he gets older. And my grandma was like, really? And he cheered me on. And it's this whole thing. And it's really cool because I look back and my grandma never missed a game. She listened to every single professional game on the internet. Even when I was in Montana or LA, in three hour time difference, she stayed up and listened to every single game. And so I just had people like that my whole life, my parents the same way. So it's just one of those things where I just was surrounded by just some great people who supported me, but also saw that I was working towards it. 
I love the drive and the determination you mentioned you're a grinder. Were there moments in that journey where there was doubt, like this isn't going to happen? I have to have a plan B? Never, never once. I wasn't a superstar either. I went to the Cape Cod League in summer and I was supposed to be this big summer league, all these top prospects in college go to. And really time to shine. And that's where you can really enhance your draft position. I set the bench most of the time. Coach even came to my house and told me I'd probably go home. I'm not going to play much. I said, no, I'm good. I'm chilling on the Cape Cod, man. I'm going to hang out here on Cape. I sit the bench and play the raffle every night with the fans. The next year I was drafted. I was injured and all this. I just never had a doubt in my mind. What else could I do? With all the focus on baseball, where did the time for artistic development come from? Well, I discovered painting, really fell in love with it in spring training of 2016. I played around with it in my spare time when I was in LA, but I just didn't really have much of a social life outside of baseball. You go to the field at noon, game at seven, get home at 11. And in the spare time afterwards, I would just paint. Did that when I was in Atlanta, did that when I was in Tampa. And that's just what I did instead of hanging out or go out or anything. Is that common amongst professional athletes to be doing artistic work? Or I don't know what it's like to be a pro baseball player. I assume it's more of a party life. At that time it wasn't, but I think it's changed a little bit. You see a lot of these athletes really into fashion, creativity, especially with NFTs. Spoken to countless athletes at this point about NFTs and the creativity and things like that. So I think it's definitely changing versus when I was playing. And did your teammates know that you were an artist? Yeah, yeah, I was carrying the canvases on the team bus and things like that. So they all knew and they all supported it. It was really cool to see. That's really cool. Tell me about the story of the origins of Aku. Yeah, so Aku started when I discovered NFTs and I was painting it. Once I took the jersey off, nobody really cared that I was an artist anymore. Now I was just a starving artist and just couldn't get my work into anywhere where I can really monetize it and make money for my family. And so early 2020, I was painting in my garage, just trying different things out, call it practicing, but really was trying to make things. And I heard my nephew ask if astronauts could be black. And so I just started painting him in an astronaut helmet on these canvases that I was making in my garage and just showing him these paintings I was making. He just got so happy and really looked forward to seeing these. And they were so massive. They were like six feet by six feet. And so then I would animate them and put his voice in the background and release them on Super Rare. This was February of 2020. And the response was really cool. Collectors really liked it, but also I got some really good responses from people who have never heard of NFTs at that point. Just thought it was cool to see this painting have a different life. And so I was able to sell a few of those. And that summer, I reached out to a gallery in Los Angeles called Art Angels and was able to point to a few of those proof points that collectors were buying my paintings. And this is my message. And they agreed to let me have a solo exhibition in September of that year, which sold out really quickly. That was incredible. And I knew people were resonating with this message and my mission to really empower people, especially young Black kids through my art, to dream without limits. And then I realized that once someone buys a painting from a gallery, you don't see it again and just lives on that person's wall. So that's how I came up with the concept of Aku is this digital character that could live in so many different formats and so many different distribution outlets. So leaving baseball and starting this painting series, that original exhibition was real canvas or was the NFT idea already permutating? That was real canvas. I think you still see my super rare. I'd paint these paintings and I would go into After Effects and animate them and then add my nephew's voice to it. And it's kind of my own way of bringing a painting to life. There's a few of those, like three or four of them. You talk about artists first and NFTs as a medium. How do you think about artists that are painting on canvas, thinking about the space as a step too far for them? How did you think about the transition from physical to digital? Because it seemed pretty seamless for you. For me, it was seamless because I had a mission. 
and I didn't really have a medium in the terms of like a canvas or using paper or oil. I just had a mission and a message that could live in so many different forms. And that's not always the case for an artist. And so for me, animating the painting has allowed me to understand the technology, allowed me to understand how the communities could basically evangelize the things that I was doing and spread my creativity further than just maybe releasing paintings in a gallery because they had this asset now that could increase in value and there was actually a monetary value assigned to that very publicly. And so that forced me to think differently about how I could use this technology to do other things beyond just paintings. And for physical painters, I think there's a lot of opportunities to still figure out how to utilize NFTs and not have to compromise on what they're good at. Maybe there's something else out there that they could do to utilize NFTs to unite their community and collectors. So thinking about that mission versus message, for anyone who hasn't seen them, and we'll post links to it, the chapters of how you structure this are pretty incredible and moving to me. I find it so interesting. I've been trying to find the right words of how to say this without misappropriating anything of how relatable Aku is to everybody. You clearly have a message to Black children of they can be anything. But growing up in a house where people said you could be anything, being a dad whose son wants to say, I want to be an astronaut and how powerful it is to tell a child they can be anything. Tell me more about just that message and how broad of a reach it's had. Incredible, man. Even just in the Discord community, there's different channels with different languages. Or even when we had the event, Aku World in Miami, just meeting these people in real life, seeing how diverse our collector base was, was really, really eye-opening and inspiring. And partially that goes to Aku never taking his helmet off. Aku could be anybody under there. That's really special, really encouraging for everything else we're trying to build and really bullish on just the fact that Aku can be this kind of next generational character. And what makes that really special is that there's actually a core group of people who are basically early believers who own assets. They can prove that. And that's something that didn't exist when you think about the other characters that we all grew up on. Yeah, attending that event, Aku World and Art Basel was extremely moving. It made me think about a lot of different things, but one just curiosity I had, the mask and the mask being down, how much of that was you were drawing the pictures and it was an astronaut and the mask is symbolic versus how much deeper meaning that has to the community? Because just walking around, the diversity of people there was incredible. Mm -hmm. I had no idea the potential. I didn't know how the film industry worked or... IP development work or anything of that nature. I just wanted to create this character. But I also was very conscious of the fact that I wanted this character to be ambiguous. And I knew that if I assigned this character a name of somebody that was a very common name that we all came to know, or we'd know somebody, people would associate that with that person that they've already known, or if revealed the face that you immediately have these opinions on somebody. I was very diligent about that at the beginning wanted this character to be ambiguous and the people really resonate and feel that just didn't know at the scale of what it would get to. Where did the name come from? I'm not the best at names. I'm actually really bad at names, but just spent a lot of time looking around for something that just hit. Everything's just a feel thing for me. And so immediately when I see something and I know it's right, I know it's right. It's not that in my mind. So I saw Aku and I was like, that is it. That's the name. There was no going back and forth when I saw that. And so the way you structured the release of the original releases that they were structured in chapters and their stories that are less than a minute long, roughly there's 10 of them. And they've been released as an NFT series of different numbers in chapter one through 10. They're amazingly powerful. As I was watching them, I was trying to figure out how much of this was thought out in advance versus iteration on the flat. You clearly had a vision, but from that original painting for your nephew 
to really saying story 10. How much of this was an outline? Okay, this is a way to do it. This is how we'll think about the releases. Early on, we were flying. Chapter one drops. You have over 1,400 people buy into your character. It felt an immense amount of pressure. That was a seven-minute open edition. It felt an immense amount of pressure on minute eight. Okay, this is 1,400 people believe in this. The idea was always to do 10 chapters. The original idea was to do them over a couple of years, just because I just figured it would take a couple of years for people to catch on and be able to take this into other more linear content. And obviously, I was completely wrong by that because it was optioned to be a film even before chapter two. It wasn't every month cadence. There was a couple months in between where we did really go through the story arc of these chapters and really build the world out with some incredible people who have built the most famous worlds that we all know and love. And so we went through that story arc, but also still was very iterative because I was getting opinions from the community in real time. There was a phase where we got pretty linear with the storytelling and people were like, well, we actually really liked art. So we were able to iterate without getting too much in the weeds because we build an Unreal Engine. We have the ability to iterate really quickly. And so it was a kind of combination of the both. And then from a business perspective, also still iterating and learning, obviously, in this whole new space of now we're really building. Now we have a real revenue that we can put to use towards the end of last year. And we really got into a groove. and We know exactly where this is going. I'm really curious just about the size of the team, where it was when you started adding people beyond yourself and where it is today. The team is surprisingly really small. We're able to scale up and down when needed. From a creative pipeline perspective, we're the largest we've probably ever been at this point. I think we have closer to 15 to 20 people now working with us. Main reason for that is with the Occutar project, that 3D pipeline that we're building is very methodical because we're not just building a PFP project. The infrastructure that we're building is also going to play a huge part in what we're building from linear content perspective as well. And so we're being very resourceful about the assets that we're creating. And all those people from that pipeline also come from film and gaming. So it's incredible to watch them work. But from a business vision perspective, we're able to stay pretty lean just because of the talent we have. Summer Watson, Amanda Hendy, Dirk, few other people on the marketing side, branding side. It's a surprisingly small team that at this point today is fairly expansive just for the immediate needs. And for context, how much revenue has the business generated over this past year? About $15 million. When you started thinking about this and you thought that you'd be releasing chapters over years, when did you think you'd hit a target like that? That honestly, I don't think about money. You don't know what it's like to have $15 million if you never had $15 million. You don't know what it's like to have a million dollars if you have a million dollars. What's the point of even trying to like guess what it feels like or what you could do? So I never really thought of it. When I have a vision and there's a clear path and we know what we need to execute on, we go execute on it. That's the beauty of it. It's also very important to note that I believe that we're in a very different position than the vast majority of NFT projects because of the sensitivity and the specialness around our IP, that it's very important that we stay independent as long as possible and do it how we want to do it so that we can constantly drive value back into our community. Historically speaking, when you had an IP like this, character like this, or a story, to get it distributed to a larger audience, you have to basically sell your IP to one of these major distributors like Disney or Netflix. And for us, it's very important to note that this revenue allows us to stay independent longer and do things for the community in a way that wouldn't be possible if we didn't own the IP. There's lots of different structures in NFTs where sometimes the creative group that is behind it owns it, sometimes it's transferred to the people that own the NFT. How does the Aku IP structure work? 
we own all the IP and that's just something that is better in my hands than I would argue anybody else's just because it's something so personal to me. It's something that clearly I care about so much because it comes from such a personal place. And I think some of those structures work. I think there's some of some structures that I really do like about IP ownership going to the community. I think it's obviously worked really well with Board Apes. Our model is just different because we're really good at what we do, really focus on the community and we're able to drive value back. Curious to get your thoughts on that community build part. I think it's super impressive that you're extremely busy grinding away, trying to make this bigger and bigger every day, but you're also seems available in the discord every day, communicating with the community. I'd be curious just to hear how you think about community building and what's worked for you. I think it's incredibly important to be in there. I get real-time feedback from people. I think that's invaluable. A lot of people don't have, a lot of companies don't have an invested audience space. It's really powerful. And I just like hanging out with them, really cool people. And I work all the time. So it's kind of like the equivalent of me going out and hanging out with friends. These are my friends. So we're just in there chilling. I also think that it's important to have a core group. I think you see a lot of projects scale to a level of these discords where they don't work. So I'm really happy about how this played out with the chapters and, and having this core audience base. I think we have over 3,000 unique owners of Aku chapters, and they come from different backgrounds. They come from people who this is the only NFT they own, don't know anything about NFTs or never even heard of OpenSea, to people incredibly integrated into the Web3 ecosystems. And so it's a really cool demographic that I can get incredible feedback and information from to really build the best product possible. And so of those 3,000 people, some people own maybe one chapter, and there's people that own all 10. And I think you've come up with a really interesting way to interact with the different levels. I think it's moon gods own all 10, what that means to the different levels and how their input impacts the project differently. Yeah. So there's 382 moon gods. This means there's 382 people that collected all 10 chapters. And I look at them as the core audience, the core members, the core really contributors to this. And I go to them with every major decision. We have a channel on Discord and they're very open about their opinions and feedback. And I go in there and it's a very safe place for me to go in there and ask questions about what they think about things. Also have a chapter holders channel just for chapter holders. As we scale with the Occutars, with other things that we're doing outside of NFTs, you're going to get more people into the community. It's very important that we do that. It was also important to me that we have this core people who understand what we're there from the beginning, helped establish the ethos of what Aku means, what Aku is as a brand. It's important for me to have direct line of communication with them. It's working really well. I'm really happy with everything from the discourse perspective. As you think about different marketing or go-to-market products before this evolution, I think there's two types of thoughts. One is the Steve Jobs, people don't even know what they want. I'm going to go build the future and show them. The other is I'm going to do these deep focus groups and let the customers tell me what they want and then build that. What I think that you've created, which is pretty masterful, is you have this brilliant creative artist who's then interacting with the community. Can you give us an example of how Maybe you had a creative vision and then how that community impacted the outcome of what actually was created. One of the things I alluded to earlier about the linear storytelling, when we were building the stories out and this world out, I know what the last scene of the last Aku movie is. I know exactly what I want it to be. I know exactly what the story of Aku is in linear content. But we were starting to see that in a very story-driven way across these chapters. The moon guys were like, yo, actually, I really like the art. Chapter one is my favorite. Looking at chapter one, it was just Aku walking down the hallway. We're spending all this time and energy on these storytelling chapters and come to find out what they wanted was just to feel something in Aku and to show it without having to have this full, like they're watching a TV series. And so that was incredible feedback. 
But also when it comes down to, again, the next phase of Aku Post chapters, different ways that I'm thinking about adding value to chapter holders, also valuable. When I say every decision, every decision when it comes to the NFT landscape that they're involved in. Can you give us some more color on how do you think about adding value back to those early adopters and believers in the project? So we did 10 chapters. Chapter four and eight were free. Gave two chapter fours, uh, gave two chapter eights. Chapter four had a floor, I don't know what it is anymore, but $3,000. So here you are airdropping chapters that, in my belief, will just continue to go up in value. The more of the Aku is the character that goes beyond just NFT. So that's one. But then when you think about IP development, it does take time. Think about film, TV, gaming, all that takes time. But there's so many different layers that you can do rewarding the community because everything's on chain. Like at any given day, we can just take a snapshot and say, here, we're doing this. This is for the community. I think that's what's really, really special about starting Aku crypto natively is our ability to identify at any given moment, the owners of Aku NFTs. And so the next phase of rewarding is the Aku TARS, which is the Aku PFP, really building out the Aku verse, which is 15,000 avatars. And so chapter holders will get rewards in that phase of this. And that's just the next phase. And then we'll continue to do phases and keep building. I look at Aku as something that I'll do the rest of my life and I'll be however old I'll be, but Aku is going to be here for decades. And so I have decades to continually add value back to the people by just scraping data on who owns what. I think that you have a very special community, but do you think about long-term community engagement going from releasing chapters every year to releasing them almost every month and all 10 are out now? Do you ever worry about a lack of community engagement? No, because man, we got some good stuff coming. <laughs> the Aquitars, what's happening there from a mechanics perspective is insane. That will span another year or two in the Aku TV series. We're doing some really interesting things there. Then you have the film, then you have gaming, then you have product, then you have Aqua World Miami. That's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger in different locations. Yeah, man, no, I don't because people still go to Disney World every single year. I look at this as this is something that we're just going to keep getting bigger and better and doing things and people are just going to have ways to really engage with the things that we're doing. I think it's important to note too, I never intended to build this NFT thing. This isn't just an NFT thing. You got to keep finding things to do crypto natively to add value. The evolution of here's a token and all. I never built that like this. That's not what this is. I use NFT to identify the core audience base that I can really get real feedback from and that people can win from believing in Aku early as we continue to grow. So when you think about this new company where NFTs are just a tool in this Web3 native media company, I'm curious to learn more about what your experience is. Like I've never optioned a movie or dealt with Hollywood in the way you have. I'm curious what that experience has been like and what showing up with this new business model has been like. It's been good because I have a lot of leverage. I'm not intimidated. I know I have an audience base. I know I have a story and I know what we're doing. And so able to really work together with some of the best people in the industry, because also too, like this is very interesting to them. They look at this in ways that they can also tell story and seed story and capitalize themselves to do it independently and build out an audience base. It's very interesting to them too. So it's been incredibly exciting to see who all is involved with building this out from a linear perspective and just working with some of the best people on a daily basis. People hear stories. I think Squid Games was created 10 years ago before anyone optioned that movie. And here you are having a movie option with under a year of launching the product. How did that come about? Was that you going to them? Did they come to you? How did the movie come to be? Came to me, man. I don't know anybody out there. 
didn't have an agent or anything. I did it all myself. I didn't have a plan. I didn't say, okay, we need to do a movie now. It was really cool to see all the interest. I was able to retain ownership over the IP and continue to do what we're doing. I feel like with movies nowadays, everything is a superhero movie, Avengers, you know, 25 or whatever we're on. But now you've created this creator-driven story. And I think there's something really special about that. Do you think this is the dawn of a new delivery mechanism for media where the community is saying, this is what we want to see? Could be. But the most important thing is still needs to be good IP. It needs to be something that people really resonate with. You're going to find out really quickly if they do or not. And take the money out of it. If you take money out of it and there's no upside for anybody to support this, will this character or this story still be special? Are there still going to be passive consumers who just want to enjoy it? And I think that's also important. I'll spend the rest of my life and I'll never make another Aku. It just doesn't happen like that. And so I think done correctly, if a character does come again or a story and it's special and you see it this way and does resonate with people, it does give you more options. Squid Games is a perfect example. Had that Squid Games been released in a manner like this, where people could be early believers in this, then it would definitely be different. But again, it goes back to the creation of IP. Is this special? And why is this special? And why would somebody care about this? How do you learn so many new skills? Are you always self-taught or have people trained you? Baseball player, artist, now gaming. How do you learn? I just go in at it, man. To become hyper-obsessive with stuff. And trial and error, like just get in and do it. I don't want to burden anybody. That's part of it too. I don't like bothering people. And I don't expect anybody to work at rate I work. So I kind of just have to learn it. I don't want to bother anybody. <laughs> I just don't think if I trap myself in the woods of Maine with a canvas, I could ever do any of the level of art you've gotten to. Do you ever get training or like, okay, I've learned enough. Now I need expert help or I want to learn this piece. How do you become such a domain expert? YouTube got a lot of good stuff on it, man. YouTube is good. <laughs> Painting, for example, go to YouTube and look, how do you mix colors or how do you build a canvas? And you just keep on building canvases. You just keep practicing. I just have a lot of time to practice, I guess. <laughs> so thinking about that, you've talked about, you don't think about the revenue of the project. You want to try to remove the money part from it, which I totally respect and understand. What is your scoreboard of success? What does it look like in your opinion? I think by any scoreboard right now, Aku is wildly successful, but I know you have a lot of drive and a lot of ambition. What is your long-term vision of success for Aku? I want Aku to have everything all the other characters have. You want Aku to have everything Mickey Mouse has or Spider-Man has or Batman has. That's what I want. So whatever that is, I want that for Aku. I want that for the community, most importantly. I want my nephews, my daughter to be inspired by Aku. Here's this kid who's very confident in his dreams. And so whatever form that comes in, I want it all for Aku. And we're working to get it all for Aku. Now, looking back on it and the journey you have had, I'm curious for other artists out there that have IP that they're working on, what have been some of the lessons that you'd want to share with them starting now? Most important thing is don't think that success in the NFT space is success. If you have IP and you're working on it and you really don't focus on the NFT ecosystem, you have to build something that is not meant for NFTs. It's meant to reach billions of people, not just NFT community. And so I think that's one thing you see is a lot of IP being created for the crypto native community, for the NFT community. But then what are they doing outside of and the other business verticals? What does it look like from a book or activations or things like that? I think that's probably the most important thing. They'll be satisfied with just the NFT success or trying to market to the NFT community. That makes a lot of sense. I do feel like what you're building is very different. This isn't a PFP project. This isn't a crypto native game. To your point, this has much 
bigger ambitions when you're talking about Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse. What other projects out there have been an inspiration to you that are trying to cross over in so many ways? I actually really like Jenkins the Valet. I think that's cool. Going the book route is, is really cool. I'm really excited to watch that. Not only because those guys just have their incorporating technology in the blockchain, but also navigating how they can incorporate community cooperation of IP building. I think that's really scary and hard to do. So I think that's a really impressive project. As you think about Jenkins and your project, it does make this point of where the IP is held and not having too many cooks in the kitchen. And I think you are the right person to own it and control it and follow that creative vision. Are there examples where you've overridden that community decision? You respectfully took it in, but you said, as the artist, this is the decision I want to go down. Yeah, of course, there's been some of those. And this is only because I know what else is happening outside of something that I present to the community that I can't really talk about, where I do have to override it just for the storytelling perspective or what we're doing outside of that. So yeah, but very few times. And also too, the community doesn't engage in the sense of what is the story mean? Why is the story going this way or anything like that? It's more just talking about it organically, like reviewing a movie you watch on Netflix. When I heard the story of Aku, I, on the surface, just watching the videos, going to Aku World, I just found it so broadly inspiring that I have to imagine people from all walks of life have reached out to you and shared their stories. I'm curious to hear some of the things that surprised you as people have reached out to you to tell you what Aku means to them. Miami was probably one of the biggest turning points for me to recognize, to finally see people, not just in the NFT community or on Twitter, to actually see an audience base engage with this, maybe who didn't even know Aku was an NFT. And just seeing the way that all different generations were engaging and coming up to me and talking about their experience was really cool. Because you have older people in there really enjoy Aku. That was really cool to see. My daughter is two and a half, obviously has no idea that I do anything with Aku. But every morning, all she wants to do is watch Aku. And that's also equally as cool because she's just mesmerized. She's starting to point things out. And I think that's really, really cool and inspiring for where this is headed. I can't imagine something greater than your child being so impressed with what their father is doing. I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah. She has no idea. It's just cool to watch. The way she watches Aku is different. You can see her eyes just going all over. It's just really cool to see the wonder in it, you know? Yeah. My personal experience of watching, I forget what chapter it is. might be three where Aku sits down at his desk and he opens up Metagram and he just sees that note that says, how can you be Elon if you never do your math? You just feel heartbreak for the little kid who's discouraged. I think you've had, I don't know you that well, but the story of people being around you, supporting you, telling you, you can be a professional athlete someday is a really nice story. But I think about all the kids that are discouraged that they can't be something. And there's something about that moment of him putting the helmet on that's just so powerful And I feel like even though they're short chapters, every time I watch them, you just find these extremely intimate and impressive details. One thing that's really been helpful for me personally about Aku is I treat Aku almost like a diary. I never really thought about other people's perspective of growing up. I always felt like I could be anything. And talking to people and looking through Aku's helmet, essentially, I'm able to understand that a lot of people aren't born into a situation like that. But at the same time, I know that doesn't mean that they still can't be anything. I truly believe that anybody can be anything with the right work. How does your nephew feel knowing that he's the genesis of a lot of this? Yeah, he has no idea either. And I think it's important that it remains that way. In a lot of these interviews now, I don't even reference my nephew. I just say young boy because I think it's important that he just consumes and enjoys Aku. I just want him to enjoy it. Nothing will make me happier than 
when the film comes out, he's just enjoying Aku. He has no idea. He's just like, oh, I remember watching this. That's going to be really special. I'm excited to see it. And I think it will inspire a lot of children, but adults as well. I think that's what's so powerful about the character you've created is just how broadly impactful it is. And I know that you've put a lot of thought and heart and dedication into it. And I'm just a huge fan of it and been really impressed with what you've created. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. We try to end these podcasts kind of the same question. So I'm really excited to ask you, what are you most excited to see built over the next six months? And what are you most excited to build over the next six years? I'm really excited about the Aquatars and the ecosystem that we're building with those. We're incorporating a lot of A, talented artists, creatives, technical people on the pipeline that are doing things that are mind-blowing. And so that's exciting, but also the ecosystem, the way it's designed is to really create this collaboration and teamwork amongst each other, amongst the community. And some of the people and brands that are involved in it are really special and have really great concepts of how they're going to integrate into the ecosystem and really add value to what we're doing and add value to the community. So that's going to be absolutely bananas. And then over the next six years, really, really believe that the quote-unquote metaverse is what we're playing in already. And so getting more technology and tools really allow for a seamless transition from, think about Aku World, for example, the hoodies you see in the holographic boxes, those were designed and created in a game engine that then were in a physical space as a hologram, then are turned into physical product, really building that out more, integrating that into linear content, and just making this basically seamless ecosystem. And that's why I call it the Aquaverse, where, oh, I saw this world in this show or in this movie, then I'm in it in this game, and I'm wearing this same thing. That's what I'm really excited about over the next six years. Yeah, that hoodie. I <laughs> took so many videos of that. I bought a hoodie, and I think that was what I showed everyone. I thought that holographic hoodie was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. All of Aku World was huge, but that hoodie just stuck with me as some wild technology. I'm really excited to get my hoodie. Yeah, that's what I believe the metaverse is. You think about jumping from this to that. Game engines allow for this to happen and just really pushing technology where we are able to scale. You think about this, this has been a year and I came in here with very little knowledge of game engines. And so if I'm able to do this in a year, imagine trying myself with people who are experts in this and building this out even further. The possibilities, in my opinion, are limitless. It's incredible. This has been awesome, Micah. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate this too, man. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S.com. 